Madonna, Confessions on a Dance Floor, the new album. Includes the number one single, Hung Up, plus the forthcoming single, Sorry. Madonna, the new album, out now. Welcome to the Spooky Electric Podcast by me, Trent Venegas. You need another podcast like you need another hole in your head. So here we go. It is time once again for another episode of Spooky Electric. And once again, I am joined by my friend, Austin Riva. Here I am once again. Who uh, seems to, to have to be the, my, my guest of choice whenever I do a Madonna episode. Uh, today is November 15th, 2020, and it is the 15th anniversary of the release of Madonna's iconic album, Confessions on a Dance Floor. So, like we did with True Blue and like we did with Bedtime Stories... Uh, Austin and I are going to have a lively, spirited chat about the geniusness that is Madonna's disco-infused Confessions on a Dance Floor album. Yeah, I've got my second drink cracked and I'm ready to party. Um, All right, so let's start out with, you know, getting through the basic uh, factoids about Confessions. Uh, It is uh, the 10th studio album that Madonna released. Um, <clears throat> it was a pretty big departure from her previous studio album, American Life, which she released in 2003. And, uh, I remember when the record came out, there was a lot of discussion about how different it was from American Life because it was just a flat out dance party album. Um, she was going for this disco sound, which... You know, I mean, disco and dance pop go hand in hand, and I feel like every major pop artist really has to have their disco era, and uh, this was Madonna's disco era 15 years ago. This week, we are celebrating the release of Kylie Minogue's new record, Disco, which is her disco album. Actually so, titled. So it is disco, disco, disco all around. Um <laughs> When Madonna started working on this record, she uh, initially started working with uh, Mirway uh, as her producer, but uh, for whatever reason, that collaboration kind of wasn't going where she wanted it to go, and she decided to start working with Stuart Price, who uh, worked with her on her I'm Gonna Tell You a Secret documentary, mm-hmm. which had was released at the same time that the record came out. So that was a nice little synergy between the two of them. And to be honest, I love her work with Stuart Price. I really liked her work with Mirway, but I feel like um, uh, Stuart Price is really one of my favorite producers who's worked with Madonna. Well, he was the creative director for the Reinvention Tour, Mm -hmm. which was what I'm going to tell you a secret kind of uh, covered. And I feel like there's this pattern of Madonna for a long time that starts back with, like, erotica 
going into bedtime stories like she initially was working with Shep Pettibone but then she decided at the last minute to find someone new and then you have Ray of Light with William Orbit he came back a little bit for music but didn't have too much going on and then that was like the big Mirrorways moment and then we go into Confessions on a Dance Floor and then Stuart Price is the new golden boy and Mirrorways has very uh limited contributions but important contributions to Confessions on a Dance Floor yeah, I I actually hadn't realized that that is a pattern, and you're 100% right. Like, you're really good at, like, seeing those kinds of behind-the-scenes production patterns. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot to say about this record for me personally. Um, I think it's probably, you know, not to sound any way, but I really think it's her last really great, great record. This This era is just so like legendary for me um and i probably have stronger feelings because of a personal connection that i have with this record that i will talk about in a minute it's something that i've talked about many times over the years if you know me if we're friends you've heard the story but uh i'm happy to tell it again (laughs) it's a great Um, story so um yeah the uh record was structured like a dj set And I remember when it was available for sale on iTunes, you could buy it um, as an album of individual tracks, or you could buy it as one track. So it just played all the songs the whole way through um, as one track. A nice callback to Prince's Love Sexy album. Exactly right, which is exactly what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, No, it's totally fine. Um, It's... it's, But I feel like they're... they're, the rationales for doing that were slightly different. Prince, his idea for Love Sexy was that it was an experience that was meant to be taken, you know, in sum as one piece. And and that's similar to what Madonna and Stuart Price were going for. But there, again, because it was structured like a DJ set, it was meant to be like you put it on at a party and it'll play the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um the tracks go from being lighthearted and happy to, and it progresses to like darker melodies and lyrics. Uh, uh, so it's definitely this dance floor journey that she's taking you on with this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, commercially, the album peaked at number one in 40 countries and it earned a place in the 2007 Guinness World Records for topping the record charts in the most countries. It's sold over 10 million copies worldwide. It's ranked third on the 99 Greatest Dance Albums of All Time by Vice Magazine. And uh, it's noted as, you know, being a testament to Madonna's longevity and her ability to continuously reinvent herself into the third decade of her career. Yeah. Uh, so Madonna was still going strong. <clears throat> We're not really going to talk a lot about American life, but... Mm. Uh, American Life was not really a critical or commercial high point for her. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned in previous podcast episodes where we talked about Madonna, she, she she's really good at taking um, criticism. Or she's, she's really good at rebounding from mm-hmm. negative criticism and uh, negative commercial success. Mm-hmm. And coming back stronger and punching through and then like just soaring well like i said on the bedtime stories episode madonna 
thrives best when he, when she has something to prove to people. And my first, so not, I know we're not going into American life, but this context is important because my first memory of Madonna music as a kid was when Die Another Day was the, the lead single from the James Bond film of the same name. And I'm a James Bond stan, like beyond stan. And all the music I listened to as a kid was only because of James Bond. So that was my introduction to Madonna. I was like, oh cool, she sings like this Electro Bond song. But then there was the whole thing with the American Life video and then it got pulled. Mm -hmm. And the only song that I really remember of Madonna's before Confessions was Hollywood because I was always on VH1 Top 20 Countdown before mm -hmm. I went to school. But um, yeah, she really ruffled a lot of feathers. This was the same era that the chicks did their made their comment about being ashamed of George Bush being from Texas, and it was like a very volatile time in the United States. Madonna, I still think to this day, she's never recovered commercially in the United States from that era. Just like the Dixie Chicks never really recovered. And <clears throat> I mean, I am older, so I remember what the political landscape and what like the pop culture felt like. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it felt like it was the worst thing that we could ever endure little did we know that that was not the case um and to think about how how much everyone railed against the that republican administration compared mm -hmm. to the one that we're suffering with and thank god almost out of now um but yeah any criticism of uh george w bush or the government was taken as a huge affront to like America itself and um it's kind of like this is like where the seeds of like cancel culture yeah uh, started well and it's weird because when you think about the spectrum of American popular music like you think about Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Joni Mitchell and all these people their whole entire point of why they were popular was protesting mm -hmm. the American political system and it was like for this weird moment in time the artists that were doing that were viewed as pariahs and not like you know madonna definitely didn't do or say anything that was more controversial than bob dylan or uh joan Baez would have said in the 60s but it was a different time and totally. it is now a completely different time from that which Com is quite interesting i completely agree um you know the the protest era s songs of like the 60s and 70s you know, war was on the other side of the planet. It was something that you just read about in the news. It never had touched American soil. Mm -hmm. And September 11th, 2001, completely changed the way that uh, we as a country viewed war and terrorism. And it complete, it changed, it just changed the whole entire um, nature of, of how this country views politics and and you know some people think it's like us versus them sort of thing uh -huh. so yeah so all of that is all tied into what american life was kind of mired in from mm -hmm. its inception so <clears throat> to bounce back from that to um move on and to try and change the conversation uh, Madonna very wisely decided to work on an upbeat, buoyant dance record. Mm -hmm. And she sat down and did an interview with John Norris at MTV. There are not a lot of really great interviews with Madonna about this record when the record came out because the documentary I'm Gonna Tell You a Secret was coming out at the same time. So all of the promo was really pushed for promoting the film 
And the album was talked about, but kind of like secondhand and not, it really wasn't like all she talked about. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, there aren't like a lot of great um, interviews, but the one that she did with John Norris is is really good. And uh, I'm gonna play a portion of it for you now where John asks her and she talks about the record kind of in general. And then she goes into um, talking about why she wanted Confessions on a Dance Floor to be a more buoyant, dancey, happy uh, record coming off of the more serious, politically laden American life. So here's that snippet now. Let me ask you about the album just overall and the fact that um, I think there was some, although pleasantly surprised, a lot of surprise um, about the fact that this is a wall-to-wall dance record. I mean, it's probably the most dance-oriented record you've done ever. And um, any reason you guys decided to go in that direction? Um, we didn't start out that way. I think Stuart, I, I worked with Mirwiz on some songs and I worked with Stuart on some songs and I just uh, tried several different things and when, when Stuart brought me the music to Hung Up and I wrote the, uh, the lyrics very quickly and it was like instant divine inspiration, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it just clicked and I thought, okay, this is the direction of my record. I want to make a dance record. Was it all written pretty quickly? Um, a lot of the songs were, but I had written stuff as I was on, on the road as well. Stuart and I had been collaborating while we were on tour, and we took a lot of that stuff that we did and morphed them into songs. You find time even when you're on the road and with the... Sound checks, backstage, else, yeah. after, in between sound checks and the show, and uh -huh. yeah, stuck in hotel rooms. Right, right. In boring cities, there's not that many. Right. New York's not one of them, but right. yeah. Los Angeles, however, is for people to sleep, as the song goes. Yes, well, yes. It's poetry. <laughs> uh, right. Don't take it literal. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I get these things. Do I you get live these in L.A.? Concepts. No, no. Uh -uh. Oh. No. Okay. Visit there. You said that very Asia. emphatically. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, is, is, um, American Life did enjoy success in the clubs, and I wonder, is that part of why you wanted to go so dance-oriented with this? Um, no, I mean, when I wrote American Life, I was very, very agitated by what was going on in the world around me and I, I felt like I had to get a lot off my chest. I think I was angry and, um, and I was, I made a lot of political statements and I felt, I feel now, you know, when I, when I wrote this, this new record, I just, I just want to have fun. I want to dance. I want to feel um, buoyant and I want to give other people that same feeling because there's a lot of madness going on in the world around us and I, I just I just want people to be happy. So yeah, so that's Madonna talking to John Norris about uh, confessions and uh, now Austin and I both have stories about when the record came out and how we related to the release of this record. Yes, so mine is way less cool so I'm gonna go first. Um, I was 13 or 14 at the time when this record came out and I was super into Hole and Nirvana and like no doubt I wasn't like, like I liked Madonna's Die Another Day song but my parents wouldn't let me buy the American Life album because it was parental advisory and she cussed on it when she said fuck it. So I never got that album. Um, but I was at my best friend Haley's house and I heard something on the TV or the internet of Hung Up. And like that, that sample, I was like, oh my God, I know that sample from something. And in my head, I was like, oh, it's from The Legend of Zelda, the video game. She's sampling The Legend of Zelda. How rad is that? 
And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I'm going to actually buy a Madonna record because she did that. And I told Haley, and she's like, are you sure that's from Legend of Zelda? I'm like, trust me, I know my synth solos. So we walk to Target from her house, and we get the CD, and I'm just like, this is so dance. But how cool that she sampled Zelda. And so then I got online, and, there, and it was actually ABBA. And I had gotten confused because I used to have an A-teens CD, which was a Disney band that covered ABBA songs for Radio Disney. And this whole convoluted thing came together in my head. The only reason I bought a Madonna album was because I thought she was sampling my favorite video game, but I was an idiot. So that's how I got Confessions. But you end up growing up to be a very big ABBA fan, so... Mm-hmm. Like, you know more about ABBA than I do. Well, ABBA's, ABBA's a band that I've always loved in the background, mostly because, like, my childhood of having that A-teens CD, but, I mean, ABBA's one of the greatest bands in rock and roll history and madonna since day one has always sampled abba as as one of her biggest influences mm-hmm. which i think is important uh going into this album so my story is like my favorite story to tell of all time um it kind of just happened and i still can't believe that it happened so let let me just take you back to uh the fall the autumn of 2005 so i'm still living back in michigan i had started writing pink is new blog a few years before and when i wrote my blog which ended up becoming my full-time career and it you know ran for like 12 years and it took me all around the world so before all of that happened i was writing it you know in my spare time uh just for fun and uh not thinking that it was ever going to become anything uh, so it, you know, it kind of was like underground, not underground, but it, like no one read it for like the first two years, like not even my friends. I used to like make my friends, you know, did you read my blog last night? Whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, my humor, my wit and the subject matter all conspired to, uh, and, and it's, it was kind of like a right moment, right time sort of thing. Blogs hadn't happened yet. The word blog was still brand new. Um, so I was filling this space in pop culture and entertainment gossip reporting that, you know, people would have to wait weekly to get like their, you know, magazines to read about celebrity news. And here I was, you know, writing about that news from my perspective as a fan every single day. So that gained in popularity. I started getting attention And it was in 2005 that I had decided that I was going to move to either L.A. or New York. It was always going to be L.A., but I kind of had New York on my mind um, as well. Uh, But I was flying from Detroit to L.A. and to New York fairly regularly, taking meetings because I didn't really know what I was doing. I I had a friend who worked uh, in uh, reality TV here in L.A., and he was the only person I knew in the business So he helped me, you know, navigate these meetings with like lawyers and I almost did a TV show. I mean, that's a whole other story. But in the midst of all of that, the blog was getting a lot of attention and I was getting reached out to from like companies and executives. An executive in the promo department at Warner Brothers reached out to me and had a really great idea for wanting to do uh, a merchandise deal with me because... You know, she was just like, your site is great. Like, there's potential here and the future is, like, in blogs. 
I want to make your merch. She's like, come, like, take a meeting with me at my office in Burbank, and, and we'll talk about it. And I was like, sure. I'm like, me and a t-shirt. I was like, I don't think people want that, but I was going to take that meeting because it sounded cool. So I met with this executive in her uh, Warner Brothers office uh, in Burbank, uh, California. And, you know, I remember she played me the Paris Hilton record before anyone has heard it. And it was just fun stuff like that. And I had mentioned that MTV, the people at MTV had been very good to me uh, as the blog was blowing up because they also saw the potential in where the future was going. This is before social media, like blogs were like the future. And the director of TRL was a fan of the site and had reached out to me and invited me to TRL uh, as a guest to come to sit in the audience a couple of times, which I thought was really cool. So he reached out to me and he sent me this email on my T-Mobile sidekick. I definitely remember that. And it was like, can you be in New York on this date? And trust me, you're going to want to be at this episode. Like, tell me you can come. And I was like, yeah, I can be there. Like, who is it? He's like, it's Madonna, and it's it's just Madonna. She's the only guest this whole episode, and it's probably going to be the last time she's going to do anything on TRL, and it probably will be the last time she'll do anything like this close to the fans on MTV ever. And I was like, fuck yes, I'm there. So I had already had my uh, invitation to be at TRL when Madonna was going to be on TRL to promote the release of Confessions on a Dance Floor. So a, a week or two before that, I was here in LA visiting from Detroit at Warner Brothers. And I mentioned, you know, oh, I was invited to TRL because, you know, as you know, Madonna's going to be there. And they were like, you're going to be there. Oh, my God. We're launching this promo phone line called one eight 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 to confess And it was this idea where it was a uh, toll-free 888 number where people called to leave their confessions and they wanted people to be as explicit and as honest as possible. And they were going to, you know, package it to, you know, to make this kind of like cool thing to promote the record. And and they did it. I don't really know that it really did what they wanted it to do, but this was the idea. They had, they were mocking up uh, promo t-shirts that they were going to give away that said 1882 Confess. And they only had one prototype t-shirt in, in the office because they were just starting with this campaign. And they were like, will you wear this shirt when you go? If you wear this shirt, we can guarantee that you'll get a photo with Madonna. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Thank God I used to be a skinny little bitch back then because <laughs> the shirt was like a sample size and it fit me perfectly. And what's great about this shirt is it wasn't a finished shirt. It was kind of Frankenstein stitched together because they took the components of like Madonna's mirror ball logo and then the, the, the numbers 882 Confess. It was all stitched together on this skinny tee. So, so I had my invitation to go to TRL to see Madonna. I had the, the promo shirt that I was going to wear to help promote the record and this kind of nebulous promise that I'll get a photo with her. Oh my God, the story's long. <laughs> I don't think I've told it in quite this much detail ever, at least publicly. <laughs> so I get to New York the morning of Madonna's appearance on TRL. Um, the director had gotten me two tickets and um, I didn't really have a lot of friends in New York yet, but I was friends with Andy Toll from Toll Road and he was one of the big gay blog bloggers of the time. 
a huge Madonna fan. And I was like, Andy, do you want to go see Madonna? And of course he was like, hell yes. So Andy and I went to, uh, 1515 Broadway for, for the, um, for the, uh, uh, for the show. And, you know, I was met, you know, in the green room and all of that. It was really, really great. Like MTV had always been so, so good to me. And, you know, they were like, do you want to be in the green room or do you want to be in the audience? And I was like, I want to be in the audience, but I didn't want to necessarily be on camera. So I sat like, uh, in the audience, but in the back close to the, to the area where the artists come out close to the green room. So, you know, TRL was an hour long show and it's a countdown show. So, you know, they're counting down, you know, the videos of the day and in between they're interviewing whichever artists they have, uh, on site. So this time it was just Madonna and, you know, they were talking to her about the record and then they had this dance competition where they pulled like, you know, six people out of the audience and they all like danced like in these little competitions throughout the episode whittling down to the final two and the winner was going to get a ticket to see uh i'm going to tell you a secret the documentary film the next night with madonna at some theater in in new york i wasn't paying attention to any of this i was sweating bullets i was like shitting my pants because like madonna's like right there i'm gonna meet madonna or i thought i was gonna meet madonna and i was just a complete mess so the the uh, the minutes are ticking away and we're down to the last commercial break before the end of of the show and honestly i thought i was just going to see her at the end high photo and that was it so it's the last commercial break before the end of the episode and they come and get me and they bring me backstage and madonna is sitting like in this chair and it looked like a throne. I don't know, like it was just such a surreal moment for me and I'm just trying to describe it as I remember it. So she's like sitting on a throne. She's purposely looking down. She didn't want to make eye contact with anyone because obviously it was clear she didn't really want to talk to anyone. Like she was just there to do what she had to do and she was gonna go. So she was getting like, you know, her makeup retouched and her hair retouched. And I remember like, you know, they kind of like pushed me toward her and I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, hi, like, what do you say? Hi, Madonna. Like, I didn't know what to say. And I was so afraid of doing something wrong and getting dragged out of there, like, you know, by my neck that I didn't want to do anything wrong. So I'm standing there trying to get, like, get her attention, just like, you know, you know, waving in my mind, but not really doing anything. And her hairstylist um, look, noticed me and he recognized me because he knew my blog. Now, I have to tell you, Madonna and her people had no idea I was going to be there. She had no idea that, you know, A, TRL invited me, and B, Warner Brothers had me there promoting with the shirt. She knew none of this. She was just there to do whatever. So her hairstylist, you know, and I credit him with me getting to meet her. So he saw me, and he was like, oh, he's like, you're that blogger, Trent. And I was like, yeah. And he says to Madonna, Madonna, you have to meet this guy. He's like this really hot new blogger and he's from Detroit. And as soon as she said I was from Detroit, I saw like the iciness on her whole demeanor completely melt away. And she looked up at me and she like knocked, she like uh, turned her head to the side and she was like, you're from Detroit? She's like, what are you doing here? And I went, 
what are you doing here? And I don't even know why I said that, but it was just, I just said, and, sh- and then she laughed and she was like, I guess, she's like, I guess we're just hanging out at TRL together. And I was like, oh my God. And it was, and then she was just nice. She was nice to me. She, you know, she asked me some questions and honestly, I don't remember what the conversation was, to be honest. Like the fact that I was communicating with her was all that I, like my, my hearing went away. Like <laughs> everything went blank in my head and I'm just, I'm just communicating with Madonna. And then a photographer comes up uh, because the photo that we took, I didn't take the photo. A photographer came up. So she sees the photographer. She's like, she's like, so should we take a picture? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm trying to be cool. And I'm just like, oh my God, freaking out. So she stands up and she's standing right next to me and she's shorter than me, uh, even in her heels. Not, I'm not tall, but she's like, she's tiny. And it was when I was up close to her that I noticed that she smelled amazing and she had diamond chips on the ends of her eyelashes. So when she was getting her makeup redone, they were making sure that her diamond chips were still on her eyelashes. And this is something that you would not have noticed unless you were standing like literally up in her face. Like it was this, I remember it was such a small detail that only the people like in her literal, you know, face could notice. And yet, it was such a fabulous detail that she like, I want to have diamond chips on my eyelashes. <laughs> so, um, so there we are, and I'm standing next to her. And I remember standing very rigidly with my hands to, the, to my side, because I was afraid of touching her. Because I didn't want to like, you know, I've, I've, I've met celebrities before that and after that. And a lot of times there's hugging and handshaking and there's physical contact. But with Madonna, I did not want to risk anything, mm-hmm. even after all of the the, the friendliness and, and the little conversation that we had. So I didn't want to touch her. So I'm standing with my arms to my side. And then she puts her arm around my waist and pulls me into her. And I could feel like my soul leave my spirit. I was like, I can die. Like, I can die. Like, this is the pinnacle of my existence. If I dropped dead right there, I would have lived the best life. <laughs> so we take the photo and I, I love the photo, but like I could, I could tell my face was twitching cause I was trying to smile, but I was like shaking cause I was so nervous and I was, I was just like, don't blink, don't blink. Like I didn't want anything to be wrong. And, oh God, and, imagine. And it was just, so we took the photo, the guy goes away and then she looks at me and she's like, so I got to go pick one of these two guys as the winner. She's like, who do you think I should pick? And I had no fucking idea what to say, because as I said, I wasn't really paying attention to what was happening through this whole entire episode of TRL. Like there's this dance copy, like this, I, I know now, cause I watched it after the fact. So I, I had to refresh my memory of, of that episode, but I didn't know. And I just said, you should pick that guy. I just picked one. I honestly didn't <laughs> know if he was better or not. And she's like, you think? And I was like, yeah. And then she goes out and you know she announces the winner and she actually picked the other guy to be the winner which i thought was so <laughs> fucking funny because she was like either he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about or i'm like listen to what he says or whatever <laughs> and that was that so you know all of this like wave of like pressure and nerves just washed away for me and i knew i was not going to see her again because it was very clear when she was done she was going to be out of there but um, before her people left, they came over and, and said to me, um, 
would you like to come see I'm going to tell you a secret the docu- her documentary film tomorrow night um, as, as part of like her guest list and I obviously was like yes and and that's that so that's how I met Madonna that was my you it's like know. how I met your mother but more interesting <laughs> um, it was such a crazy time for me and it was such an emotional day for me and this is another thing that I don't really talk about about this story later on that day because uh, you know I, they filmed here out like three or two in the or something and like around five or six you know, my site was doing really, really well, and I had, like, some kind of technical glitch. I think my photo host went down or something, and the site wasn't loading. And I was getting all of this, you know, like, where's your site? Oh, my God. Like, you suck. Like, it's back, you know, like, comments. You know, the comments could be really nasty. And I remember just, I had so much emotion from what was going on that day. I completely broke down, and I'm like, I can't handle this. It's too much. <laughs> like, Madonna, like, uh, like I remember having this huge, huge emotional breakdown in New York City on my sidekick, crying to my boyfriend at the time, saying, like, <laughs> I don't want to be here. I'm just going to come home. This is too much. But, um, you know, it really was one of the best days of my life, and I was just so overwhelmed with emotion that that's, I think, what was all that was all about and then the next night I did go to uh the premiere I took my friend with me again we were seated like three or four rows behind Madonna and her family and you know she she said some very brief things when it started she left halfway through and that was the last time that I was in very close proximity to Madonna but there's more from that moment on through at least her next three tours, her promo people. I don't know if it was that they liked, that she liked me. I don't think it was that she liked me and was like, hey, hook that guy up. I think that they just, they they liked that I was a fan. They saw that the site was popular and they were like, you know, let's get him on our, our promo train. So... From, for, for the Confessions tour and for the subsequent tours, at least for two to three tours after, I want to say. Um, I was always offered front row tickets to any show I wanted to see. I remember specifically when I, because I saw Confessions a few times, the Confessions tour, the New York show, her, her publicity person reached out to me and asked me what me and my boyfriend's t-shirt size was. And when we got to the show, we had gift bags with every single piece of merchandise that they were selling for us. And we each got them. Could that be one of the things you're wearing right now? It is one of the t-shirts that I'm wearing. Wow, it's held up so well over 15 years. Yeah. Um, The one thing that I did lose over the years that really, it doesn't really bother me, but it was a very cool uh, souvenir from that tour was the writing crop. So the writing crop that she uses at the opening of the Confessions tour, they sold that like a little... I mean, it wasn't like a, a real riding crop, but it was decently made leather riding crop. And at the butt end of it had the disco ball, Madonna's disco ball logo for confessions. Dare I ask how you lost it? <laughs> I think I lost it in a move, honestly, because I remember I had it when I was still living here in West Hollywood. So fun fact that isn't really fun to anyone. No one's going to care about this. But before I met Austin... I lived in the building across the street from where Austin lives now. Yeah. So I had already moved out to uh, my current apartment where I live now. And then I met Austin. And then he moved into 
an, a, he has a condo across the street from where I used to live when I was in West Hollywood. So I definitely remember that I had the writing crop and all that stuff when I was living in West Hollywood, but then I, I lost it in the movie, so I'm a good move. So, hmm. yeah, that's my Madonna story. And I mean, nobody, anybody that is a Madonna fan, nobody gets to meet Madonna. She does not meet her fans. She does not take photos with people. But what I will say is you're not the only person who's met her that has said that she's really nice. But it's funny, and this is something I've noticed over the years, because every celebrity that's met Madonna is like, oh, she's such a bitch. Mm -hmm. But then anytime there's like, because I used to work in the service industry in a restaurant, and I knew so many people who had served her over the years, and they mm -hmm. always said she's the best tipper and the nicest, most fun person. And I kind of think that Madonna just hates famous people, but she's like pretty cool if you're cool. Yeah. And... Because I, like, if I was walking down the street and I saw Madonna walking towards me, I would fully expect her to push me in front of a bus for her own daily, just like, you know, that was the fun thing she did today. Yeah. But I don't think, I think that she's nicer than people give her credit for. I think that she thinks that the celebrity establishment is bullshit and fake. Like, when she, you know, does, like, the vomit thing when Kevin Costner <laughs> says that her show was neat. And a story that I just heard the other day where the writers of Like a Virgin had never met Madonna for years. <laughs> I just told Trent this story the other day. And so so Billy Steinberg and the other guy whose name I'm blanking on, they wrote Like a Virgin for Madonna. They're like these iconic songwriters from the 80s, but they had never met her. And so... What other songs did they write? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Like 80s hits. Most of them are a little bit schmaltzy, which I was like, they wrote Like a Virgin. And when you hear Billy Steinberg say like why he wrote Like a Virgin, it like kind of ruins the song, so I don't recommend you do that because it's really like creepy old guy, like in his mind. I mean, I remember you also, you told me True Colors by Sylvia Lauper was one of the songs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, iconic songs. You, you know these songs. Yeah. But so, they were like, for years, they'd never met Madonna. So, the Blonde Ambition era, she's like walking out of a building with Warren Beatty, and whoever's in Madonna's entourage is like, oh, Madonna, this, this is the guy who wrote <laughs> Like a Virgin. And he walks up to her and puts out his hand. He's like, oh, wow, Madonna, I've always wanted to meet you. This is such an honor. And she said, well, now you have, and then walked away. <laughs> and I... And Warren Beatty started laughing at him when, like, it was just like, I was just like, oh. But, but then, like, you hear those stories, but then I hear, like, people in L.A. or Las Vegas that have served her, and they're always like, Madonna's the most fun. Like, we always look forward to her coming in, because she always tips the entire restaurant, and she turns it into a party. I mean, obviously, I've thought about that moment a lot over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't want to presume what she knew, Maybe she did know that she was supposed to take a photo with some kid wearing a promo shirt. You know, maybe they told, maybe the studio was like, hey, we have, you know, a plant in the audience wearing uh, one of your shirts. Just take a picture of him that we're going to put on the website or something. So maybe she, you know, and... No, nah, she's not going to just be nice just because somebody's well, like... Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like... She purposely was not making eye contact when she was backstage. Mm. So I was standing there for a good minute, you know, probably felt like 15 hours, I but know. I was standing there for like a good minute and I didn't know what to say. No one was saying anything. And were it not for her hairdresser, who not only introduced me to her, but I think him telling her that I was from Detroit and he only could have known that because I talked about it all the time on the blog so well i feel like madonna's always testing you like if i was standing in front standing in front of her i'd be like does she want me to say hi is she gonna be pissed if i do or is she gonna think i'm weird if i don't she always just has this energy of like she wants to see what you can do yeah she strikes me as a person that wants to be challenged but also 
if you challenge her at the, or at the wrong moment, you're probably going to get, like, you know... Thrown in front of a bus. Exactly. Look at Guy, Ra- Guy Ritchie when she purposefully had the paparazzi photograph her in the Confessions era, walking out of a sex shop, carrying a, a strap-on <laughs> in a box, while Guy Ritchie's, like, sulking behind her with his head down, and, like, this is the best Madonna picture, because she's just side-eyeing the paparazzi, because she knows what she's doing. Like, he obviously did something to piss her off. So she's like, the world's going to know that I'm having sex with you with a strap-on right now. Love it. I and mean, this that's... is Confessions era, so it's pertinent. That's so Madonna. We'll have to find that photo and put that on the Instagram. Um, So again, my long-winded story, I think it was a very nice collection of uh, good luck that led to me even being in the same room with her. And um, you know, that Detroit connection is what really sealed the deal I think. And again, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. It's one of the best memories and experiences I've ever had. And every time Facebook or whatever social media reminds me of the anniversary of that photo, I always repost it. And I'm like, here it is again. So uh, I'm going to go on the record now. And Austin, you'll probably outlive me. When I die, (laughs) I need that photo um, on display. Which is interesting because when, uh, before, so Pink is a New Blog kind of continued to grow and it was professionally revamped um, a few years into its success. But for a long time, it was very hodgepodge. I just did all the HTML myself. So um, on the side banner at the very you know end of the banner, I had a, a, a small version of the, me and Madonna and the heading was just like, now I can die. And it's so funny because whenever I repost that photo on Facebook or whatever, fans of my site who still remember and who I'm still friends with on social media, they're like, oh my god, I remember the Now I Can Die uh, caption, which I think is so cute. So. And all the Nina Gordon stands out there can cross off your Nina Gordon bingo tonight for obscure references. <laughs> it's a shame it didn't happen in 2003. It happened in 2005. Well, you can cross off another obscure Nina Gordon bingo reference, everyone. <laughs> okay, so now let's get into the track list uh, that uh, of the playlist that we put together for this episode and it's essentially the album in order and then uh a couple of live tracks from the confessions on a dance floor tour and some remixes b-sides and we'll talk a little bit about some uh uh, unreleased stuff demo stuff and uh bonus tracks so track one hung up the lead single from the uh album the aforementioned track that you thought sampled Legend of Zelda, <laughs> but in fact uh, samples Appa. Yes, it samples Gimme, Gimme, Gimme a Man After Midnight. And uh, something to know about that sample is that ABBA does not let people sample their original work. Mm-hmm. They are very, very uh, selective. In fact, I don't know that they'd ever let anybody sample their work before then. But I know that Madonna had written a personal letter to Bjorn and Benny from ABBA saying like, hey, I've got this song and kind of doesn't work without the sample because if you've heard the demo, it kind of doesn't. And um, and they let her use it. And it became one of the most iconic uses of a sample in like music history, in my opinion. Yeah, I I was not a real ABBA fan up to that point. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge... I mean, I appreciate them, but I was unaware that it was such a big song. The song sounded familiar. The sample sounded very 70s. Um, so it didn't surprise me that it was someone big like ABBA. 
Um, and then having heard, like you said, the demo without the sample, it is a very different track. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as uh, opening tracks and lead singles, it's definitely one of her best. Yeah, it set this. It set the standard for what we could expect from the record, from the era, from the tour, from the whole vibe. Her whole look was like the '70s Farrah Fawcett hair flip, mm-hmm. and uh, she was like Don. She was wearing like um, lycra purple. Uh, with her aviator glasses, very very seventies, very very cool. The video is 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 a great video. Um, you know, Madonna in the dance rehearsal space, like doing stretches and and just looking amazing. It's so Madonna, like it's so like when I think about the Confessions era, I really think about like. Because Hung Up came out before the, the album did. Uh-huh. And it did so well. And it really, really got me and I think all of her fans and people who weren't even necessarily, you know, vibing with her since the American Life album had come out. Um, I think it really was a great way to just be like, okay, let's restart the record. You know, this is where I'm at now. Let's dance. Let's have fun. And it just did really well. Number one, I mean, it was just like a huge, huge hit. I remember it being in that T-Mobile commercial where she walks into the phone booth and answers the phone. (laughs) And I also, speaking of the video, I've always wondered what the original David LaChapelle treatment for the video was because he was the original director and they had a whole treatment and stuff ready to go and then him and Madonna didn't get along and she like screamed at him on the phone and then he was like, I'm not working with somebody who is like this. So he backed out of the video and at the last minute they got this new director but the original video was supposed to be this whole big David LaChapelle and he's my favorite photographer. I love everything that he does. Like the original, uh, he did the original version for Britney's Make Mm -hmm. Me as well which is kind of interesting to scrapped videos from him but I've always wondered what that video would have looked like. I mean, it's interesting that you're saying that. It's like the only common denominator is David LaChapelle. Like, mm-hmm. we, we, don't, we don't know. And has that... That's never leaked, has it? Like, No, they never shot anything for it. Interesting. It was... They were having disagreements over where the video was going to go. And But the Hung Up video is great because it's so... Because not only is it her, but it's also of its time. You have the people doing choreography on the Dance Dance Revolution machines. Yeah, yeah that's and so brilliant. And you have brilliant. parkour, which, I mean... Like, my nephews are obsessed with parkour. But back in 2005, I didn't know what the hell parkour was. Nobody did. That was very underground back then, in my perspective. You know, and we, we, we talk about, like, so this was Madonna's disco record, and obviously Madonna didn't invent disco. But mm. she was still, at this time, pushing the boundaries of what the trends were. She was setting trends, mm-hmm. not following them. And unfortunately, and Austin and I have talked about this many times over the course of our friendship, at a certain point, Madonna stopped setting trends and she started following trends, Mm -hmm. and I would argue not successfully. So this is why when I look back and I say the Confessions era was Madonna's last great, really, really great era, that's what I'm talking... You know, she's working with Stuart Price, who really hadn't... You know, he was not super big like Mm -hmm. she everything that she was doing sounded fresh even though it was a nod to the past she was doing it her way i credit um stewart with how fantastic the music is on this record Mm -hmm. even the songs that aren't strong 
and there you know there are a couple it's not a perfect record for the longest yeah. time I, I thought this is like a, a perfect record but it, it, it really isn't there are some some songs that uh, I find aren't super great yeah but even those songs are fantastic because the music and the production are really interesting and, and great and fairly innovative and I credit Stuart Price for all of that I agree somewhat and there's a certain song when we get to it I'm gonna bring this conversation back up but yeah well let's carry on let's. so track two is get together and I have to say as much as I love hung up and I love all the singles from this record honestly um, I think get together is my favorite song and and this is a personal thing because again I can't not think about this record these songs and and that moment where I got to meet Madonna without thinking about where I was in my life at that time uh, you know big changes in my life personally and professionally and the overwhelming emotions of you know being like this guy in Detroit just doing this little blog that was for fun that never occurred to me would become something and then suddenly it was like huge it was really really uh, it was enormous it was just it's hard to describe and I and I don't want to you know belabor that point but I over seemingly overnight went from nothing to like holy shit I was being invited to like these events the MTV VMAs the Grammys like red carpet all these premieres like it was crazy so I have a very distinct memory of being here in LA it was one you know one of the trips where I was either looking for an apartment or I was meeting with whoever to talk about business which was just crazy to me and we were listening to the record and and get together there's something about the music of that song that just takes me back to that moment mm -hmm. and there's also something about it and that you know from my personal experience so you know i've i've never done like major drugs mm. but i did have a club a, a club drug phase like you know around 2000 and there's something about listening to get together that reminds me of that euphoric feeling when you're just happy and everything in life is perfect and the music is just so enveloping for me that's what get together resonates with me mm -hmm. takes me back and every single time that song comes on even driving over tonight when i was like playing through the playlist one mm -hmm. more time i was in that car again back in the autumn of 2005 my life was changing and it's kind of all encapsulated into that one song yeah i for the longest time did not even give get together the time of day at number one because on my cd it starts off with bells ringing which is the most jarring thing to ever exist in the sequence of a cd because hung ups fading out with the tiktoks mm -hmm. and the clock and all of a sudden it's like every bell in the history of alarm bells goes off like as a sound effect to, to tie it together but i always thought it was like so annoying so i'd always skip the song and the video is awful it's just the video of her at Coco, which is a nightclub in England, and they just put mm -hmm. it through a weird effect. Mm -hmm. I just never, I was like, whatever, this is just a skip for me. But as I've gotten older and as the, the version has come out without the, the bells from hell, 
I'm like, this is actually a really great song. And Bloodshy and Avant, mm -hmm. the people behind really uh, great Britney Spears and Kylie tracks from that same era, I love... They did a song for Kylie called Speakerphone, which I feel like is kind of in the same universe, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. just like... I don't know. It's it's such a cool vibe. And I think that that um, the video and the, the way that they mixed it on the original CD probably killed it for more people than just me. But in retrospect, great pop song. You know, and it's, it's just, again, it's such a personal thing for me mm -hmm. that, yeah, so. No, we all have that. I mean, for me, my big personal, big first Madonna moment was Hard Candy. Like, I think Hard Candy is, like, mm -hmm. one of her best albums. People will laugh me into the next millennium for that. But I, when you have a nostalgia with music. 100%. It's like, it. Every time I hear Hard Candy, I go back to the Sticky and Sweet Toronto Election Night 2008 in high school with my mom. And that's just, that's my moment with that. But and this that is... We'll, you'll always have that. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's, let's continue on. Track three is Sorry. Um, again, I love this track. Uh, you know, you know, Madonna has a, uh, an affinity for singing in foreign languages <laughs> And she's like, well, I'm just going to sing. I'm going to say I'm sorry in as many languages as possible. But did you know that one of them she does incorrectly? I'm not surprised because I was going to say normally her pronunciation is terrible, but none of the pronunciations are glaringly off to me. But uh, which which of her her foreign language I'm sorry is incorrect? Do you oh, know? no, this is a quiz. I, I always know this because she takes it out of the confessions towards the one she doesn't say. I want to say it's when she says, Sonos Piagente. In Italian? Yeah, I think that's it. Is this a quiz or do you really know? No, I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, I think it's either um, Ik Bendrovic or Sonos Piagente. One of those was wrong. And uh, so she took it out of every version of the song that's ever existed since then, which I'm kind of just like, how did that not, how did that get past all the people that it took to make a single for Madonna like nobody noticed <laughs> like you have like at least two dozen people that have to sign off on this and not one person was like hey actually this is mistranslated but here it's we are it's kind of like her her tattoo it's kind of like a, when a person gets a tattoo in a foreign language and it's completely wrong yeah like, I have that <laughs> I literally have that I, I had a Russian friend who mistranslated something into her own language and now it's on my body forever so love it so yeah. that's that's your I'm sorry mm-hmm uh, track four is Future Lovers. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to say one more thing about Sorry, actually. Well, two more things. One, we can't forget the video. Mm -hmm. That video where she's roller skating around mm -hmm. and she's doing my favorite thing from the Confessions era where she just loses her mind and like contorts her body in these fits of dancing. Mm -hmm. So cool. The other thing I wanted to say about Sorry was when she performed at Coachella, which was a very big deal at the time, yep. there was a band that was playing before her and they released a cover of Sorry as like a rock song. And I had this band's name in my head all day and I've lost it, but we're going to put it on the podcast Instagram so that you guys can check this out. It's a really cool cover from uh, Coachella. And they were like, well, if Madonna's coming, we should sing one of her songs. And I, I don't know why I always remember that, but it's pretty cool. Hmm. I didn't know that. Um, all right. Track four, Future Lovers. Future Lovers. Do we love it? We future love it. And I believe this is the only Mirway's uh, contribution to Confessions. I think so. Maybe Let It Will Be. He did a lot of demos for a lot of songs on this album. Yeah. He did play he did play guitar um, on another song, but it was, he didn't produce it, so... Mm. 
So, but we'll, we'll, when we get to that song, I'll mention it. But um, Future Lovers um, is the song that she opens her tour with. Mm-hmm. So the Confessions tour opens with Future Lovers. And uh, that live version is later on in the playlist. And we'll it talk is. about that when we get to there. Yes, we will. So um, track five is I Love New York. Your favorite Madonna song. It is not my favorite Madonna song. For the longest time, even when I thought, you know, Confessions is a perfect record, um, it's it's a silly song. She loves it. And when she was promoting the record, or whenever, because like I mentioned, during this promo period, she was really talking up the documentary, and then she was talking about the, the record as well so it was mostly about the movie then the record Mm -hmm. and then if she said anything about the record it was either about hung up or it was about i love new york because she loved that song for whatever reason i do not love the song i don't hate it but it's not great i think lyrically it's weak and for a song that she loves so much um I wish she had really invested in making the lyrics stronger. Madonna is so weird. Like, when you watch I'm Going to Tell You a Secret, which is, like, two years before this album, she's already demoing I Love New York. Mm-hmm. And then if you get the, the documentary on the bonus CD, there's a demo of I Love New York. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Confessions album, I Love New York's on it. Mm-hmm. And then she only selects two album tracks to remix from the entire album. Guess which is one of them? I, I Love New, New York. York. I don't know why. She's just like this with Candy Shop, too. It's like she finds the one song that she knows her fans are going to be like, eh, about, and then she just <laughs> wants to, like, shove it down their throat until they suffocate. <laughs> like, she's performed Candy Shop live more than most of her songs. And, like, the my issue, like, the instrumental for I Love New York is sick. It's so cool. But... Yeah, the music is great. But the lyrics are just, like, when I'm like, you're Madonna, you're going to say F off? Like, say fuck off. Right. Like, she's like, you don't like my attitude and you can F off? Like, that's the most counterproductive statement I've ever heard. When you are talking about how much you love New York and you don't say fuck... Yes. Like, that is what... That's what kills me about it, you know? And just go to Texas, isn't that where they golf? Like, Uh, what? But then live, she does the whole, just go to Texas and you can suck George Bush's dick! And it's like, that's much more interesting than... That's isn't so that much where more golf? New York. That's so much more New York. Yeah, but she was, you know, she's trying to play it safe. But I just, this song, I love the instrumental to it. It's, I love Rock Donna. And I am just, it's fine. It's, it's I love New York. It is what it is. It's, it's her, it's her one cringe song that she gets per album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not the worst Madonna song ever. It's not, I'm going bananas. So... <laughs> I mean, she loved the song so much, uh, she thought it was okay to rhyme dork with New York in the lyrics, which I'm just There like, is never an instance in any song, and I say this as a songwriter, that the word dork should be used lyrically. There's never, there's never a time where it makes sense. I'm not going to argue with that. Thank you. So, moving on to track six, Let It Will Be. It's the most sensible song title I've ever heard. What do you think about it? Do you love it? Um... I like the song as a whole. I've just, I've always just been like, what does let it will be mean? And it's like, this would be one of those nice times where instead of just talking for seven hours about I Love New York and all her interviews, where she could have given some context into like, what, like, because in her head, yeah. in Madonna brain, it let sense. it will be is something really cool, you would think. But on it's, 
you listen to the song, you're just like, huh? And the like when she the whole just watch me burn thing is so cool. It's one of the best drops on the record, mm-hmm. and and it's just like the lyrics are just a little too obtuse. And it's like, is Madonna does she is she saying something that we're not picking up on, or is she just filling words? Especially for um, a track on a dance album, like the dance mm-hmm. album, you know, it's it's an upbeat, you know, be carefree you know, buoyant, all of that. Yeah, it sounds to um, me like she just needed an extra syllable and somehow justified it in her head. But, you know, I think the music is great. Mm-hmm. Like, sonically, it is a very interesting song. It's very clubby. It's very new disco. Like, it harkens back to those disco vibes, but it doesn't sound like anything that had that is disco. It doesn't sound... It doesn't reminisce of a classic disco song. Like... If disco had been invented in the mid two thousands, that's the sound that it would be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it definitely feels. It felt. It felt at the time. It still does. I think it still feels like a very fresh take on a disco sound. I think it's the most bland instrumental on the album. I don't think there's anything memorable about the production. I think it's very just like, here's a beat. It's, but it's, nev- a, it's a great beat though yeah, I, I just think it's boring I've always I've never been a fan of this instrumental I've always thought it was boring and just kind of like uninspired well on that note I guess we'll let it will be yeah. and um, move on to Forbidden Love the second seven. the second Madonna song to exist with such title that's right when you uh, google search for Forbidden Love Mm-hmm. You should tack on 2005 after to make sure that you pull up the right one. Mm. Is this the only song title she's ever reused? Mm. It might be. I want to say yes. There's Because I always, whenever I think about this, I always get her and Kylie interspersed because Kylie's done that a couple times yeah. too. But when you are an artist who has been an artist for decades, mm-hmm. sometimes you get to the point where you reuse song titles. They're very different songs. Uh, but the, I think sometimes, well, lyrically, things come up again. Yeah, this is something I'd like to hear her address, because it's always been a question. With Kylie, it's different, because, like, the song titles, like, with Love at First Sight, you know, very different. Mm-hmm. But um, I would love to hear what she has to say. If she even remembers that she had a song from 1994 called Forbidden Love, maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she was like, I'm going to write a song called Forbidden Love, and nobody was brave enough to tell her. Um, Actually, that sounds like... Yeah, but what, what a great song. This is the best use of synthesizers in the entire album, I think. Also, the best use of, um, like, octave vocal layering, mm-hmm. where where there's that really deep vocal. I love um, the performance of it, obviously. I, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful song. Is this where you think her love affair of vocoders came from? Like, because she started playing... Like, this song in particular, she starts manipulating her voice, and then it became a practice that she did in my opinion, way too much. I'm so glad you asked this because this is a big point that I want to make to everybody in the Madonna-verse. As somebody who makes music, there's a very big difference between vocoders and autotune. Mm-hmm. Everything that you hear on Madam X is autotune. Mm-hmm. Everything that you hear on Confessions is a vocoder. Mm-hmm. A vocoder will change the pitch of your voice. It'll add layers to it. But like when, when you're thinking of songs like Nobody's Perfect, Die Another Day... Mm-hmm all of Madame X, none of that is a vocoder. That is auto-tune. So I think that Madonna never got enough into a vocoder because look at how cool that was on this song. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
yeah, I, I there's there's definitely auto tune on this album, but it's not like you know, twenty nineteen. I completely agree. like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like at, at this point, again, she was doing fairly interesting things, folk, you know, with the vocal manipulations. She was, you know, setting, still setting trends, mm-hmm. still pushing the envelope. I mean, she wasn't doing anything super revolutionary, but she was mm-hmm. doing it new and fresh. Yes. As opposed to, you know, in later albums, in later years, mm-hmm. she was following trends that had already been exhausted, that had al- were already stale by the time she was starting to play with those ideas and... Again, you know, not to go down that path right now, mm-hmm. but back in 2005, when this album came out, she was at the forefront of pushing the, you know, the Madonna sound into fresh, interesting, new ways. Totally. Uh, track eight is Jump. Mm-hmm. Jump is uh, one of the singles, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite tracks Mm. it did uh it was very commercially accepted across the board it was featured in the movie the devil wears prada uh which yep which which is it's in a montage uh vogue is also used that's what i think of when i think of um uh i don't know if there's a soundtrack for that album or for that movie there is and vogue is on it but uh and it might have been an, an instance where the song was used in the film, but it was too late to be put on the soundtrack or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the thing, and I, it, I always perk up when I hear it in the film. Um, and the thing about the Devil Wears Prada uh, was getting back to when my site was was blowing up. The Devil Wears Prada was the first big ad sale that I ever did, and it was a lot of money. It was more money than I ever thought could be made at like one time. Wow. And it was at that point that I was like, holy shit, I can actually move and make a career at doing this. And it, it's kind of launched where where I was able to be, you know, financially able to do all of the amazing things that I got to do in my life and was able to blog about it. Hmm. So again, that's another personal connection to what was happening in my life. Um with one of my favorite records from one of my favorite artists and then one of my favorite films at the time. Mm-hmm. And The Devil Wears Prada comes on fairly often on E! and like VH1. And whenever I catch it, I just watch it from whatever point it's on. And 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 yeah, so I love that song. Yeah, for me, Jump is a song that was used in the show Ugly Betty. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. And That's what I'm saying. Like, like they, like that song did well because it was used in, in other things. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I'm trying to use a nice word. <laughs> I don't love this song. I think that it's very like pandering to try and get a hit and like reclaim public goodwill. I don't. I just felt like about it. But it works. I it mean, did. for sure it works. It definitely. It definitely was. I remember being. You know. All the girls that I knew in junior high all loved the song "Jump" by Madonna. Maybe that's what ruined it for me. And that's probably what did it. But yeah, I just, uh, it's like, whatever. It's fine. It's a great song to dance to. Um, what do you think about the video? The video is uh, more parkour. She filmed it, I believe, in Japan when she was stopped for the Confessions tour. She got a icy little blonde bob wig for it. Do we love the wig? 
Yes, in the video. It's a cool look. When she she brought it out for the show and that was like, ooh. But um now, I feel like it's a cool look. I don't love it looks cheap. The video does look cheap. It felt like an idea that could have been executed really 100%. well. That video they, looked like it cost twenty bucks to make. Yeah, they didn't have time. It was already the end of the album cycle. It's the last single. They're mm-hmm. just like, let's just throw out a video that's a little bit better than get together and call it a day. And that's what they did. Uh track nine is How High. Yes. And how high? I love the lyrics to this song. This might be my favorite lyrics on the whole record. This song was always kind of meh to me, but then as time has gone on, this suffers from the same problem for me that Let It Will Be does. Like, it's such... It's so interesting lyrically, but there's nothing... like. There's nothing that sets it apart to me musically or instrumentally, just Mm -hmm. because there's so many songs on this record that are so unique... And they're so, like, each song has its own, something that makes you remember it, whether it be an ABBA sample or speaking in a different language or electric guitars on I Love New York or the spoken word on Future Lovers. This song, it's great lyrically. The instrumental just never really hits it there for me. I wish she would have performed it live to see what she could have done with a tour arrangement. Because it's what, like, when the lyrics are literally quintessentially her describing her career up to Mm -hmm. that point and probably the most personal she gets on the whole record. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's definitely the most personal she gets. And it's sad that it's kind of just like an afterthought. And she never performed it live. She never remixed it. And it was just kind of like, I think it's one of, one of two, one of two songs on the entire record that had nothing to do outside of the album's track mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like the last of the interesting songs on the record. Mm. I mean, okay, so the next track is Isaac, and I love Isaac because mm. it's so out of left field it's not you know when you know if if i were to describe to you so madonna one of the biggest pop stars of all time and mm-hmm. it's she's putting out a dance record and mm-hmm. it is like a dance dj set you know da 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 and then you have and you hear isaac mm-hmm. and you're like what is going on um it it's it i like the song mm-hmm. i just feel like it's so weirdly weirdly placed in in this record i love it it's, pro- it's probably my favorite moment on the record i love it too but it just doesn't it, nothing about it says dance party nothing about it says disco nothing about it says anything that of what she's going what she's going for for this um for this uh record for this era mm-hmm. she does perform it live mm-hmm. um it you know it's to me, it screams, you know, like, uh, Kabbalah and all of say. that, you know? Like, yeah. there's a shofar. Like, there's a Jewish dude blowing a goat horn, you know? And, and it, it's a cool song, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if, if Madonna was just, like, you know, you know, putting out a Kabbalah album and Shanti Asganti and all of that, you know, like if, mm-hmm. if it was that, hell, yeah, like, that would be, like, the lead single. I mean, again, I like the song. It's just very odd for me that it's on this record and i don't dislike it Uh but it just doesn't flow for me i think isaac is the heart of the album i think that a lot of the album was i didn't feel like her heart was in a lot of it she knew she had to be commercial isaac the song isaac is one of my favorite lyrics by her from any album ever i think it's one of her most poetic songs i love how they interpolated isaac's vocals into the song Mm -hmm. i love that it's the last time we hear her mm's previously from secret and frozen oh interesting you're right but it's in the production is really the 
the bells and the the way that it ebbs and flows. Yeah, it's, it's just great, so. It, it's it's not trying to be a radio hit. No, nope. it's like over six minutes long. Yep. But to me, this is one of the most quintessential, essential Madonna songs in her entire career because it's so everything about Madonna is encapsulated into this song, and it's one of my favorites. I mean, again, like I'm, I I like the song. I just feel like it it it's weird on this record. It's like, uh, you know, she's taking you on a DJ dance journey mm-hmm. and we're going to pause to bust out the shofar and and have this Kabbalah moment. Well, I think that that's selling the rest of the record short. I mean, when you look at the lyrics of Let It Will Be or How High, she's already been metaphysical. She's already hinted at what's about to come. Not every single song is just like, get on the dance floor. Yeah, like she's been pretty like... It, it the the great thing about confessions minus one song that we haven't gotten to yet is that it ebbs and flows through dance floor mm-hmm. to personal to spiritual and everything all of that comes together and climaxes with Isaac everything that we've heard thus far comes together with Isaac I will say you know because Isaac doesn't strike me as a you know dance track that you would think off the top of your head Mm -hmm. I bet that song slaps at bar and bat mitzvahs all across New York hell yeah yeah okay track 11 push here it is it's the one that I just think is one of Madonna's worst songs ever it's so meh yeah and when you when you were saying earlier about uh the instrumentals and the production being so memorable this is what i was talking about when i said something was to come because if you mute her vocals and lyrics on this push is so good yeah like it starts out very promisingly because you're like oh what like what is and it's almost got like a weird hip-hop thing with the bells and the beat is different than anything we've heard and then she just comes in with funky and it's like huh yeah and it's it it I don't know. It just felt like half baked to me. Like it's like, is this about Guy Ritchie? Is it about her fans? It's very vague. It's very just kind of like she sat down for five minutes and wanted to write an uplifting song. <laughs> and it's I this song never once have I thought that it deserved its place on this album. I think that there are so many other songs from the sessions that would have much been better placed here. But yeah, that's all I have to say on Push. I think it's just kind of one of her worst songs ever. Yeah, I don't think it's one of the worst, but I definitely it's one of the eh, you know, it's very eh. Uh and 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 that lead, leads right into track 12, the final track on the album, like it or not, iconic. Uh so you feel like this is the song that really successfully closes this album? Hell yeah. This is this song again, quintessential Madonna lyrics. She is literally reminding you that she doesn't give a fuck what you think. Mhm. And the the uh religious biblical allegories and the lyrics are incredible her comparing herself to like matahari and everything it's a smart lyric it's a clever lyric it has a catchy hook the production mm-hmm. with the acoustic guitar is not like anything else you've ever heard on the album uh i think it's the perfect way it, i think it's probably madonna's best closer ever because it 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 sums her up and I do remember, though, when it came out, I was a big Goldfrapp fan at the time, and still am, and Alison Goldfrapp pretty much said, like, oh, so Madonna just, like, completely ripped off Goldfrapp for the last <laughs> song on her album, which is kind of like, okay, like, having Ooh La La and all that stuff just come out, I can see where Alison Goldfrapp was kind of like, oh, that's me. <laughs> but it's different enough that I think that it's not, like, a Goldfrapp copy, but amazing song, amazing lyric, amazing production. I love everything about it. 
Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about this before about Madonna always has a moment where she's just like, this is it, take it or leave it, mm-hmm. fuck you, absolutely no regrets. Like, she that's an attitude that she has uh, lived, mm-hmm. but also featured in songs, album after album, decade after decade. Yeah. So that is the album uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so track 13 on the playlist is Future Lovers mashed up with I Feel Love Live from the Confessions Tour. Mm -hmm. And this is the track that starts the the show. Mm -hmm. In one of the most iconic concert entrances ever. I totally agree. You saw it live, so you should be telling the story here. I saw it live a few times. Um, You know... The whole idea of the the disco ball disc is not inventive. There's nothing new about a disco ball when you're talking about disco music or dance music in general. Like, disco ball is as cliched as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that, you know, so the the show starts and all the screens light up and they're showing imagery of like horses and it's black and white and it's slow motion. Mm-hmm. It's very Britney radar music video, like the dramatic <laughs> horse. Yes. You know, it's all of that. And there's this big disco ball in the in the middle of the catwalk. So it's mm-hmm. a stage and then there's a catwalk into the into the audience. And you know, for every well usually you know for one of these big shows you're always looking to where the artist the artist is going to come up out of the stage or they're going to mm-hmm. come down out of the the sky and fly down or yeah. or whatever or the 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 curtains will part or something will open and they'll walk out mm-hmm. um but for this you know there's this huge disco ball in the center of the catwalk and then all the dancers are gathering around it and the male dancers are they have reins in their their mouths, bits in their mouths, and they're on all fours like they're horses. Mm-hmm. And then the disco ball opens up, like, and there's Madonna. There like, she is, in there the little she horse is. jockey outfit, looking as good as she has ever looked. Mm-hmm. She is flawless mm-hmm. in this show, in this era. The styling, I love the costumes. I love the whole equestrian vibe for this opening uh, performance. Yeah. Um, Mashing up Future Lovers with one of the most iconic disco songs of all time. I mm-hmm. mean, again, not revolutionary and not that she the first time it's ever been done, Mm-mm. but it's done so well and it's so Madonna mm-hmm. and it's such a great way to start this show. And you know, the equestrian theme was all because she fell off a horse and broke some bones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She talks about that. She talked about that a lot in the promos leading up to uh, the release of the film and the uh the album um but you know madonna's the type of person that you fall off a horse and she's gonna get right back on it and, and not just get back on it she's gonna own it turn it into merch and yeah well i mean look at in 2012 seven years later she still has a, a line ride my horse break some bones take it down a semitone from mdna like that stuck with her for some reason it's just such a great way to start that that tour and that show and yeah. um you know, I like mashups. Mashups have been done to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when this came out, mashups weren't really done to death yet. Yeah. So it was still very cool, very um, smart, I think. Totally. 
Uh, and then track 14, we chose uh, Let It Will Be Live, also from the Confessions Tour. Yes. So I quite forcefully put this on here because this is my favorite live performance of all time by any artist ever. Number one, it uses the Paper Faces remix from one of the Confessions maxi singles, and it's way better than the the instrumental from the album. And this is the performance that it's like, Madonna always has, you know, like a bunch of choreographed dancing or big screens or props or something. This is where she literally has nothing but herself. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's just going up and down the catwalk. She's giving the the most intense energy I think she's ever exhibited live. Mm -hmm. She's like grabbing people's hats out of the audience and putting them on. She's going up and like getting like centimeters away from the camera. She's writhing around the stage and kicking her legs up she's in the air with the beat. She's having fun. Yes. You can tell she's really having fun. And she's fun. letting loose because yeah. she never lets loose. Everything is always so like tightly choreographed and has to be perfect. Here she's just like she's just feeling it and that's why I love it so much. And it leads into her like collapsing on the stage and then she does this beautiful acoustic version of Drowned World Substitute for Love mm-hmm. which I think is better than the album version. And I, one of my favorite moments of this show happens in between Let It Will Be and Drowned World when a fan yells, yeah, and then she goes back to them and she says, yeah, we can do anything. Mm-hmm. And she's just so happy because you never yeah. see her seeming like she's just happy and just enjoying the moment. She's never in the moment to me. And here is one of the rare times where we caught her lost in the moment. And I think that that's what makes it so special. And the remix is sick. But yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Madonna has been, or at least her people at Warner Brothers have been uploading old singles and remixes to streaming mm-hmm. and uh at present the remix of this track is not available on streaming uh but hopefully it will be someday yes i'll write warner right now um track 15 is hung up the sdp extended vocal edit um personally i think the album track version of hung up is can't, is unsurpassed like that's my favorite version of it Agreed. but you know when you're going to the club and you're you know dancing and drinking and having fun mm-hmm. you know this is a great remix to dance to you know the the dial tone like playing with the the, the phone uh sounds and all that like again that not revolutionary uh kind of expected but done cleverly and well and I mean, I like, I love that. And I want to say the first time since Vogue in 1990 that she had a proper extended dance mix of one of her songs. It wasn't just a complete from the ground up remix. Yeah. Which is interesting because, I mean, she's, she's like such a huge dance artist Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've talked about You Can Dance and all of that. Yeah. In previous things. Um, Track 16 is Sorry, uh, the Pet Shop Boys Maxi Mix. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, love this track. Yes. Pet Shop Boys put their vocals on it, and they turn this Madonna song into like a Pet Shop Boys song, which yeah. I think is cool. Totally. Yeah. And they and she incorporated it into the live Confessions tour version of Neil Tennant's mm-hmm. vocal saying, "I'm sorry, so sorry. Please forgive me." Probably to in the place of her mistranslated version of I'm sorry. Interesting. Which would be my guess. But that's a good guess. It never occurred to me. <laughs> but it's huh. just it's such like Neil made such a great hook 
with uh with his new vocal contribution and it's insane that the pet shop boys and madonna this is the only time they've worked together yeah because they've spent decades saying that they want to work with each other i'm like why can't you make it happen like imagine an entire album by madonna produced by pet shop boys and the likelihood that i mean they didn't work together on it like they she sent him she sent them her music and then they did what they did and sent it back and that's it well, she liked it enough to put it in the live show. Well, she's smart. She definitely is smart enough to know uh, when she's got gold in front of her and she's going to yeah. capitalize on it. Uh, track 17 is Get Together, the Jacques Lucant mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Get Together. This is a decent remix of it. Um, yeah. It's too dubby for me. I never liked any of the Get Together remixes because they all include so much of the li- so little of the original song. Yeah, I just yeah I, was, I I listened to them probably once when the CD came out and I was like okay that's all I'll ever listen to that. But it totally does harken back to you know when Madonna was putting out dubs you know mm-hmm. for DJs and I really do feel like because this record was such a dance oriented album yeah that they really wanted to push these remixes out for DJs to spin them and you know. I I don't necessarily recall a particular night where I was out and this was spun, but I'm telling you, these remixes, this one in particular, was were played to death because, you know, Madonna was back in, you know, form and mm-hmm. people wanted to dance with her to her music and here we go. Let's get yeah. together. I mean, dubs are just have never been my thing. It all feels very like, you know, let's go out and take a bunch of ecstasy and go to a circuit party and I'm just... That, that's just not my thing. But there's a huge market for that, and I'm sure that yeah, they love it. the Madonna it. fan base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, track 18 is I Love New York, the Thin White Duck remix. Mm-hmm. So um, Stuart Price remixed this. He sure did. And, um, you know, I don't love the original, but I like this. Yeah. I like this remix. It's very much what you would expect a Stuart Price extended remix of I Love New York to sound like. Yeah. Capitalizes on the best parts. Exactly. And it minimizes the... Dork. It minimizes the dork. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Track 19 is Jump, Junior Sanchez's Misshapes Mix. Uh, Junior Sanchez is uh, someone that I've gotten to meet over the years. And uh, he would spin at Misshapes... So Misshapes was a dance party in New York, but the misshapes are the three DJs who who created the party and hmm. this was when Electro Clash and all of that was happening in the early two thousands. Um anyone who was anyone went to misshapes in New York and everyone was photographed and you just wanted to be photographed because they you know they put it on the their website the next day and you know, last night's party and all of that stuff like it was very of the moment. It was very of that 2000s era. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Madonna went to Miss Shapes to promote um, this record. She and Stuart showed up one night. I was not in New York at the time, very unfortunately, so I had to read about it and then blog about it from <laughs> Detroit because I wasn't living in L.A. yet. Uh, had I gotten the heads up, I definitely would have been in New York for that night. But... Uh, it was very much um, that generation's uh, uh, 80s, 70s club, you know, uh, Studio moment. 54? Totally Studio 54. So, was it Bianca Jagger? Didn't she come in on a white horse? She did, yes. Like, it's, like, Madonna, like, Miss Shapes 
party was like full of the cool kids and then Madonna shows up, you know, mm-hmm. two time twice the age of all of them and people just like the the seas parted and she, she and Stuart go right up to the DJ booth and cameras flash, cell phone cameras flashing. It still was not cell, uh smartphone era time yet. It was like flip phones but, you know, Madonna's fucking there, you're taking her picture. Yeah. And um this Junior Sanchez and this remix is all of that moment. I did not know any of that. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you and I have gone out and we've gone to dance parties or whatever, but you don't strike me as a big, like, club kid. No. And um, I definitely loved my club time and Miss Shapes, for me, at that time was just like, ugh, I just loved it so much. And every time I went to New York, I definitely wanted to go. And, um... Miss Shapes put out a book that they sold at Urban Outfitters of like all the coolest photos, not the coolest, but like a collection of photos that have, of people that went. And uh, of course, Madonna's in there, and regular people like me are in there. And oh wow, it's cool. Yeah, I never showed. I have to show you that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for the remixes. Mm-hmm. Track twenty is history. Yes. Uh, the B side uh, on the jump single. <sighs> Okay, so I'm going to air a grievance I have with this song. Okay, here it comes. (laughs) So let me preface by saying that the unreleased songs from Confessions on a Dance Floor are incredible, for the most part. Um, One of the first ones that ever leaked was a song called History. And with the parentheses of Land of the Free. Mm -hmm. And because this leaked, as, as this has been told to me, this is the version I've been told, is... Madonna was pissed that it leaked, so she had Stuart Price do a dub version Mm -hmm. for the single, which is just so anticlimactic because, again, History Land of the Free has incredible lyrics. Mm -hmm. They're very political, but not, like, offensive. It's such a a well-written, well-produced song. Isn't it possible that she was definitely trying to get away from that whole anything political, even if it was smartly done? I mean, I, I feel like... Well, I mean, again, we're not talking about American life, but she probably was maybe a little gunshot. Yes, I'm sure she was pissed off that the song leaked, and we definitely Mm -hmm. know that Madonna gets pissed off when her music leaks, and Mm -hmm. she gets in this punitive mode where she's like, well, I'm just gonna, you can't have it. I'm gonna put out something that's different. So, yes, I agree, but I also think, um, you know, maybe she just wanted to stay away from anything that was remotely capable of dredging up the shit she dealt with with American Life. I could see that, but we're also on the fourth single of the album, the final single. She's, like, touring the world, telling everybody to suck George Bush's dick. I don't think she was like, are people going to be offended by my slight references to politics? But you never know. No, I mean, of course... um, Do I think she cared personally? Mm -hmm. No. But, like, she dealt with backlash from it that was, you know... Not great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and she we... had dealt with that previously. Like we talked about this before when bedtime stories came out. Like yeah. she almost, like erotica, almost destroyed everything that she had amassed up to that point. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that she shied away or was, you know, decided to necessarily be safe uh, for, you know, for any other reason other than she probably was just over it and was like, I just. 
maybe I just don't want to go there again. Yeah. That would be... See, this is why she needs to do more Q&As, because that would be a great question for her to answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's... I don't know. It just felt... Like, she has so few B-sides, and to have it be a dub... Exactly. ...was just kind of disappointing. I mean, she had triggering in there. Uh, she had the song that's coming up that I won't mention yet. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, as a whole, I think the dub was a little disappointing. Uh, and, and, uh, the last song on this playlist... Oh, here we are already. Uh, well, yes. So, in 2007, mm-hmm. she decided to release Hey You as a charity song, uh, that she co-produced with Pharrell Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Way plays guitar on it. Does he? And it was written for the Live Earth campaign. Uh-huh. Um... It evolved out of the Confessions on a Dance Floor demo, Keep the Trance, mm-hmm. which, take it away, Austin. Keep the Trance was a song written for Confessions on a Dance Floor. There's many demos of it out there. Search and you shall find. Um, hey You is like pretty much widely regarded as Madonna's worst song ever. <laughs> it's really just bad, honestly, and Keep the Trance is such a fun song. But Hey You is just, like, what was anybody thinking in that? Hey You. Well, it's, this is, like, this is like the early, the early moments of Madonna, think, like, trying to be, like, this political yes. folk star yes. revolutionary, and it just doesn't translate well, well, and she's singing in octaves that she can't hit, and the production is weird, and it's, I just, it's one of the most baffling things she's ever done. So we did include Hey You on the the playlist so Mm -hmm. you can hear it in full, but uh, I'm going to play you a snippet of the demo version of Keep the Trance just so you can hear uh, what Hey You might have sounded like had it survived. what the song could have sounded like um hey you was released digitally uh on may 24 2007 so a couple years after confessions mm-hmm. uh it was initially released as a free download for seven days before it was sold so you were able to download it for free if you wanted to people paid for hey you people paid for it um madonna only performed the song once at the Live Earth concert in London, where she was joined by a choir of school children who provided, be- who provided backing vocals to her singing while the backdrops displayed images relevant to the song's message, like natural devastations, different cultures, and political leaders. Good for her. And I must say that um, while we were just listening to that, I realized that in Hey You, 
She also quotes the lyrics from an American Life outtake slash something she revamped for the Celebration Greatest Hits, a song called It's So Cool, where she says, save your soul, little sister, save your soul, little brother. Never noticed that before. It's interesting. I mean, you're a songwriter, so maybe you can speak to this, but it seems to me like, because I don't write music, but mm-hmm. um, I'm sure artists have like all of these lines or bits of melody that just don't work out and they kind of just go in like this um you know folder of ideas and then when you're working on new music you might reference these snippets which sounds like is what she did that's totally a thing i mean there's many times i'm writing a song where i have one line and i'm just like oh it doesn't fit here it doesn't fit here madonna's done that a lot over her career where she'll She'll, there's a, there's a, a line from a demo that you'll hear, hear later, something that's unrelated. She'll quote herself on something else. Uh, it's pretty interesting, actually. So that's it for the playlist. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, those are the 21 songs that we've selected for this playlist. There's one more song that we want to talk about before we wrap up this episode. Yes. Well, actually, I have two. Because there was two deluxe bonus tracks for confessions on a dance floor number one was a song called super pop which was on the icon which was madonna's fan club her online fan club yeah that so was the you, icon exclusive yeah so if you were a member of her fan club which is called icon you got an exclusive gift every year or every time she put out a record mm-hmm. and uh the song super pop was a bonus track that was only uh made available to icon fan club members like me so i was a member of icon at that time and i did get super pop as a download what do you think of the lyrical content of super pop um well let's play a snippet so here's a snippet of super pop so you can hear uh because it's not available on streaming we couldn't add it to the playlist so here's a snippet of it uh and then we can talk about the lyrics uh after the snippet okay So that's just a snippet of the song, but the lyrics do go on. Um, she says, if I was a star, I would be who I am today, which Love is a very that. Madonna line. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she was a fighter, she'd be Cassius, Cassius Clay. Clay. If she was a motion, she would be intense. Uh, and if she was a man, she'd be the president. Yep. And also, if she was a dog, she'd be a man. <laughs> I like see this is when Madonna's having fun and the lyrics are kind of stupid but they're also funny. Like I think they work much better here. Yeah. It's a fun song. It's a fun uh it was a a, a nice little exclusive for Icon uh fan members. Yeah. So uh, 
sizable uh, portion of her fan base has the song, but it's unfortunate that it's not available on streaming. I don't think you can buy it. If no. You, if you didn't get it uh, from Icon, you have to you know bootleg it from YouTube or something. Yeah, I'll have to email Warner again to have them get it up. Yeah. And the very final thing I wanted to say about Confessions, which is a really quick little interjection here is that there was a, a special edition version of the album that was in a, a big black box and there was a bonus song on this cd only available on this super limited edition called fighting spirit you can find it if you search for it it's definitely the most 70s uh reference that her and stewart did there's a huge reference to blondie's uh like church bells from rapture in there oh, interesting and see you would you would pick up on that yeah it's the, the Stuart Price knows his references really well. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to Fighting Spirit, you're immediately going to think of, oh my God, it's like referencing Rapture, which both Trent and I love Blondie. But mm -hmm. um, so that was a really limited song. If you're super want to deep dive into this album, Fighting Spirit is super fun. Definitely should have been in the place of Push. And Oh, totally. And that's my, um, that's my summary of Confessions. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Stuart Price one more time because it it just reminded me that I really wanted to mention that he is definitely one of my favorite Madonna collaborators. And, um, you know, there's discussions about what happened uh, after the Confessions era was over. Mm -hmm. uh, something about, like, it just didn't sell as much as they were hoping or whatever. I mean, like... I feel like record labels always have these ridiculous expectations of, of what they want and how much they want to milk from a record. Mm -hmm. And um, because it didn't go like, you know, 10 trillion times platinum or something, they were like, oh, we need another producer or maybe sh maybe Madonna was also ready to move on as well. Yeah. But I really feel like um, Stuart Price had definitely had more in him and had they been able to collaborate more on another record or even a couple more songs on a, on the next record i think that would have been really cool because to this day steward price is still uh producing fantastic records mm -hmm. he produced dua lipa's uh current record mm -hmm. uh which and then she put out a remix of one of her songs which features madonna so mm -hmm. Stuart price kind of is back into the kind of Madonna realm again, not fully on the peripheral, but yeah. he is a fantastic uh, producer. I love his work. Um, so yeah, I, that's, and that's, and that's just another one of the reasons why Confessions is one of my favorite Madonna records. I'll say it again. I think it is her last really, really great era uh, not that Madonna can't have, you know, eras that surpass it. I think that's possible. Madonna, if 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 Madonna can do anything, it's um, you know, push boundaries, you know, and and set a new standard for what's great in music. She can do it if she wants to. Um, she can surprise us at any given moment because clearly she satisfied me i think she satisfied us mm -hmm. with this fantastic record which came out 15 years ago today exactly and isn't one of the coolest things about it though that it's so unique and that it was never she never tried to do anything even within the realm of it again that makes it so much more special yeah it's it's a moment in time and i kind of almost prefer it that way 
you're not there's nothing that's trying to take its title it's it's great for what it's great for and it's and it's at that place in time we can always go back to it and it's a great album uh we will let it will be we will let it will will be so happy anniversary confessions on a dance floor uh go listen to this playlist it is the whole album and and the remixes live tracks and those little bonus extras and uh thank you austin for chatting with me again we're gonna have to decide which madonna album from the 2010s to discuss that will be the hunger games between us so uh be on the lookout for that in the hopefully not too distant future and um so bye austin bye thanks for coming over and uh i will be coming at you next time bye Each episode of Spooky Electric has a playlist that I have created for each individual episode. The playlist can be found on my Spotify account, Trent Venegas, in the playlist folder titled Spooky Electric. The playlist track listings are listed on the Spooky Electric Instagram at Spooky Electric, where the O's are zeros. S-P-0-0-K-Y-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C.